Welcome, everyone. Um, I appreciate uh, everyone that has braved the current climate, as, um, as Murray said. Um, there was a little bit of a COVID cluster in, uh, uh, in, in City PM. Um, I, I was included in that, and my wife. And um, honestly, I was super, not super keen, but semi keen when I got it, because uh, uh, it's, it's a good time to kind of break and take a relax. And I had um, yeah, a few, few things to attend to at home. Um, I had this sermon um, to, to prepare for, so like having a whole week off. Um, would have given me like every hour I could, or every day I could just kind of slowly work towards it, but um, I kind of took that for granted, and and then it hit. Um, COVID hit, and uh, apparently it's a it's a very similar, it's a very common um, symptom of COVID is is the motivation um, and the attention uh, like try, attention span just goes right down. And you know, if you've read Isaiah, which is what we're, we're the series we're finishing, um, at the best of times it's a bit difficult to comprehend, and so take COVID brain and. Uh, and brain fog um, in that as well, and I, I found it a bit of a struggle, and the only thing I could do in that week where I was having a bit of brain fog and um, wasn't able to focus, you know, falling asleep trying to read Isaiah, the only thing I could do um, was listen to it, uh, the, the chapters that we've been um, uh, tackling this past month, so from, from uh, Isaiah 40 to 43, I've just been listening to that kind of in the morning um, and, then, and then at night, and so I did that for the whole week, um, just getting uh, getting my head around it, and and the penny dropped. It's like kind of when when I came out of um, a COVID brain, I, I was like subconsciously prepped, and I was able to um, put pen to paper, and it started working. So, if you haven't got around to doing that, um, that that's been the easiest way to kind of get my head around this Isaiah um, chunk that we've been talking about, 40 to 43. And so today we are finishing, and I will be going through Isaiah 43. Uh, the theme. In Isaiah, obviously, um, it's a it's a large book, and we're only focusing on chapters 40 to 43. The theme that that has been presented and that Kathy um, kind of planned was um, being sent ones. That we um, are sent ones. That that our purpose on this earth is to be sent into the world and proclaim the truth. And it's the same in the context in Isaiah uh, 40 to 43. So the the context is so before Isaiah 40. Um, it's Isaiah talking to the Israelites and talking to, to the king, warning them that because of their disobedience that the Babylonians are going to overtake them. And then you hit chapter 40 and you get catapulted into the future. And now it's, um, it's, it's, it's the prophets or the God talking through the prophets, um, telling them that now that they, they are in exile, that God wishes to restore and redeem them. And that's where we want to focus on today. This chapter 43 is all about redemption, about, about God's plan to redeem his, his nation. And, and obviously, we want to get to the point where we go, how does that apply to us? You know, this is, this is a book uh, that has uh, got a heavy context about Israelite people, but, but because of Jesus, th- this whole Bible has something to do with us as well. And I don't know if you guys caught Kathy's message. I mean, a, a lot of us were um, uh, co- in COVID isolation, but for those who were here last week, um, in Isaiah 42, there's a part which really stuck with me where it says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. And Kathy put out the challenge. So it's talking about Jesus being this compassionate and loving servant who will seek out the bruised reeds, but he will not break them. He will love them. And, and then the, the smouldering wicks he will not snuff out, out, but he will nurture them. And you see that through Jesus' ministry that he was all about finding the broken and the downtrodden and loving them and, and redeeming them. 
And so Kathy put out the challenge to find the bruised reeds in your, in your life. Probably don't tell them when you meet them, hey, you're my bruised reed. Um, but it got me thinking about this week, and this is how I want to bridge the gap. What if you here right now feel like the bruised reed? What if you here right now feel like the smouldering wick? You feel like you're at your wit's end, that you know you're supposed to be a sent one. Um, it says in the Bible that we go out and make disciples, but you just don't feel like you're worthy, that there's something that's happened in your life, there's something ongoing in your life, there's sin that you just can't overcome, or there's circumstances that has rocked you to the core where you just don't feel like God could ever use you. And I want to encourage you through Isaiah 43 that it's not true. How you feel about yourself is not the way that God views you. And so before we start, I, um, I've got a clip from The Chosen that, that I want, to, um, want, want us to watch. It's only two minutes. Um, if you haven't seen The Chosen, it's awesome. Get on it. Um, it's not really spoiler alert because it's, it's Bible stuff. Um, but in any regard, um, it's, it's, it's a clip about Mary Magdalene, and I'm just going to use that as a frame for, uh, for the rest of the, the message. So if we can get that on, Kendi, if it's, if it's going to behave. I love that scene because it's so intense and it's so personal. It really captures the, the, the chapter that we're going to um, go through today. So if you have your Bibles or your, or your uh, phones with Bibles in them, um, uh, open to Isaiah 43. And what I want to do today is just take you f- through three or four passages within Isaiah 43. And I just want to answer three questions. What does this say about Israel? to get that context so that we're not um, um, doing a disservice to the, to the Bible. Um, what does it say about Mary? So I want to use the clip and what, what we know about Mary Magdalene um, in her journey. I want to use that. And then what does it say about us today so that we, we've got applicable things that we can take with us? And so let's start with Isaiah 43, verse 1. It says, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. There's this shift in language at chapter 43. If you look at 42 from 17 through to 25, it's basically just God reminding Israel about how blind and deaf they are. It's pretty intense. And if you read through Israel, uh, through Isaiah, it's just an ebb and flow of God or the prophet Isaiah or God through the prophet Isaiah reminding Israel that they have not honoured him and they have, they have fallen and, um, and, and that, you know, consequence is exile and Babylon. Um, but then at Verse 43, uh, sorry, chapter 43, verse 1, it says, But now this is what the Lord says, and it says, I have redeemed you. You are mine. And so in the same way that that, that, that super intense personal um, uh, uh, clip that we just saw, I, I want you to kind, kind of hone that emotion that you felt, the, the holding back of tears. Like, I've watched that 20 times, and every time there's something in the back of my mind, I'm like, I've got to stop it. Um, it's just so intense that that... And I think that's the language that you get here. It says, Thus says the Lord, He who created you and formed you, do not fear, you are mine. 
And this is, for the Israelites, a renewal of their identity. To be, to be called and to be chosen and to be called someone else's. It's actually quite a uh, comforting thing to know that there is someone that has got you. You are mine. And so in this language, God is saying that he doesn't care about what they've done anymore, that they've stuffed up, but he still calls them his, that his love is unconditional. A covenant that that was created with the the people of Israel and God is not just a a contract, and if you break that contract um, relationship over, that is not what a covenant is, especially not when your covenant is with, with the living God. His covenant is forever and is everlasting, and although Israel found themselves in exile um, via a Babylonian nation, it did not mean that God had forsaken them. And so this was a renewal, and he calls them by name. So if you know your your Bible history, um, the father of Israel, so to speak, the the man named Jacob, his name was renamed Israel. So, So when God calls Israel Jacob, it's this personal language in the same way that we saw Jesus calling out to Mary. He's, he's, he's calling him by the name that, that he, he, he called them. Like, if, if you had a son, you would call your son by their name. So, it's personal. But I would think at, at this moment, as Israel is in exile... They're probably feeling quite ashamed or, or abandoned for what they've done. Um, unredeemable, you might say. And so if we think about Mary and we think about the, the clip that we saw, um, we don't know a lot about Mary. There's only a few things in the Bible. And so uh, the Chosen has cre- taken a bit of creative license in creating a, um, a storyline for Mary, and I don't believe that is unbiblical. Um, the, things that have, uh, the themes that have been created, it's just um, creative license to create a deeper... Because if you think about Mary and what she, she ended up being and, and, and what her role was, it, it's quite amazing. And so if we think about the clip that we've just read and um, think, uh, the clip that we just watched and the, um, the whole episode before that, um, if, if you haven't watched it before... The clip or the, or the um, TV series depicts Mary as someone that has undergone severe trauma, that she was abused by a Roman guard and that her dad um, died prematurely. We also see in that episode that um, there was a clip of her as a young child with her dad and she was scared of the darkness. And so her dad says to her, what do we say? When we're scared, what do we say when we're fearful? And that verse 43, verse 1, is the verse that became her anchor. Thus says the Lord who created you, who formed you, I have redeemed you, you are mine. And so Mary used that in the, in the TV show as an anchor. But what else do we know about Mary? Well, from the Bible we know that Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed by seven demons and that Jesus exercised those demons from her, and then she became a follower of Jesus and a supporter of the ministry. But in the moment, especially in that clip that we watched, you have a picture of Mary who, who has, has, um, is at her wit's end and has turned to alcohol. And then she has this encounter with Jesus. You know, in the moment... 
or in her upbringing, as things started happening to her, as trauma started to affect her, and then as, as demons started to take possession of her life, I think that, that verse 43, verse 1 through to 3, is, is the anchor is feeling weak. No matter how many times she professes that over her life, the demons are too strong, and so she begins to, to lose hope. She feels abandoned. She feels exiled. She feels she's got her own little Babylonian moment happening in her life. But here, Jesus calls her by name. Another thing which I find interesting that is the way that they depicted it was that uh, in, the, in the episode, Mary was called Lilith. Most people named her, uh, called her by Lilith, but that was not her true name. That was just the name that um, other people called her or maybe it was one of her seven spirits. But Jesus sees her for who she is, who she really is, what her real name is, and she calls her by name. She call, he calls out to her. He calls her Mary. And so what does this mean for us? Have you experienced your own Babylonian exile moment? Are you currently in an exile moment because of sin that you, don't, you can't run away from or, or circumstance or trauma or something that has happened in your life that, that keeps rearing its head and you're just unable to break free of it? Do you have your own exile story where you feel like God doesn't feel personal to you at the moment, that, that, that no matter how many times you read the Word, no matter how many times you pray, no matter how many times you receive prayer, you still feel like crap. You still feel unredeemable. You still feel that God could never use you. I want these words to be a refreshment over all of us that whatever you feel about yourself right now is just transactionally not true. It's just not true. Jesus says to his Israelites, Jesus, God says to his Israelites, Jesus says to Mary, and he says to us that you are mine. You are redeemed by my blood. Whatever is going on in your life right now, however you feel about yourself, that is not true. That is not who you are. As we keep going, Isaiah 43, verses 4 to 6, it says, Since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. And do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. I had a, um, I had a chat with, um, with uh, Murray uh, a month back after my sermon, and he said, I did really good, but there was this one thing, it was just too heavy. I just kept going and going and going and too heavy. And so I want to bring a, a quick little story to lift the room so we can double back in. Um, we have a cat called Mirabelle, um, and uh, she, she flips from being a perfect angel to demon spawn. Um, and the favourite thing that Nicole uh, threatens her with is, if you do it again, you're going to be exiled. 
she uses this biblical language. Um, and I don't think Mirabel understands at the time that, that the reason why she gets put away is because she's done something wrong. The, the latest episode was uh, while I was away, Mirabel got up onto um, the kitchen bench while Nicole was um, asleep, 10 minutes from waking up for work. Um, she got up onto the shelves um, and she knocked over this massive glass bowl and this, this uh, other glass container and it just shattered everywhere. And then I just got a message from Nicole and said, I had it. She's exiled all day, eight hours. I'm not even going to speak to her. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, you're going to be a good mother, Nicole. <laughs> so what does this, um, this verse say about Israel? In Isaiah, um, we, we are talking to a nation that has been exiled and their, and their people have been scattered. Uh, north, south, east, west, and Jesus, uh, God is saying to them that I'm here to bring you back. I'm here to restore you back to your, um, back to your promised land. It says, since you are precious and honoured in my sight and because I love you. I think that's really powerful. This is the reason why he makes good on his promise. There's this promise that he's going to bring the nations back together and this assurance that he's going to be with them. And I think that's very reassuring to know that your God that has brought you through many things before is still with you, even if you don't feel like he is at the moment. And in classic God fashion, um, he seeks to restore order in a very unconventional way. It's a situation where you will not be able to believe in yourself in order for it to happen. You're not going to be able to rely on your own strength to happen. And so what, what God did was he used the Persian king to overrun the Babylonians and the Persian king allowed the Israelites to go back to rebuild the temple. You would never think of that and you can't, can't conjure that up yourself and yet God creates these, these ways where you can't rely on your own strength and almost your only choice is to to trust in Him, in the thick of darkness, in the thick of, of hopelessness. What does this, this verse say about, Israel, uh, about Mary? So Mary, an Israelite woman who has several demons inside of her, um, would not be on the list of God's chosen, according to the religious leaders or the culture of the day. I think in the same way, that people who were born um, physically disabled um, in that day, um, the, the general consensus was something has gone wrong in their life. Either their family has done something wrong or they have done something wrong and therefore what you have right now, it, it's deserved for some reason. And so she's been told this her whole life as, as, as demons continue to overrun her life and consume her. It is very hard to believe that this person, Jesus, who's turned up in her life has the power and the unconventional way to heal her from her possessions. Like being in an Israelite culture where, where there probably were exorcists around, she's probably been to every single one of them and none of them have been able to help her. And yet this humble man from Nazareth intervenes into her life and heals her. 
in that moment in the clip that we saw, Jesus doesn't see her condition. He doesn't see, he doesn't see what everyone else is seeing. He doesn't see, oh, you must have done something wrong to deserve this. He just sees her, a child of God, to be redeemed. And so what does this say about us? It's the same thing. When we are in the pits of despair, it is easy to listen to the enemy. It's easy to listen to the voices in your head. It's easy to listen to the culture of the day that is telling you that God is not going to turn up for you and that God is not going to heal you. That God is not barracking for you. That God is not running after you and seeking you out. And so this applies to us too. Do not be afraid for I am with you. Jesus is saying, God is saying, you're not going to get out of this by yourself. You need something much stronger or someone much stronger to drag you out of captivity of whatever is going on in your life and back into the promised land. It's the hardest thing in the moment to trust. Even though you feel uh, abandoned, that the best thing is not to run from him, but run to him. And I think we've all been there where we don't feel very close to God. That we've taken a break from reading or we can't even bring ourselves to pray to Him. That the, the thing that we need to do is run to Him, not from Him. And so as we continue Isaiah uh, 43 verse 10, it says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I am the Lord, and apart from me, there, are no, there is no saviour. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord that I am God. Yes, and from the ancient days, I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? The unique nature of God's relationship with Israel is the proof that He alone is God. If you think about Israel's history and all the things that God has brought them through, Israel was a much smaller weaker nation than than the ones they encountered in their land, and yet they were able to overcome all through God. The the laws and the, the moral living that God set up through the Torah was immensely different to that of the day, and therefore their society and the way they carried themselves, um, the way they behaved in community was totally different to any of the other pagan nations of the day. And God proclaimed over Israel constantly that you are going to be a light to the nations, that people will look to you and it will cause them to think and wonder and ask questions. But in the current state of exile, perhaps they've forgotten They've forgotten who God's called them to be and they've forgotten just how special 
their relationship is with their living God, who has brought them through so many things. And so God encourages them that you are my witnesses. It doesn't say you were my witnesses. This isn't present tense, past tense. It's not God saying, just, think, just remember the things of the past, that I have done things. But he's saying that I will do things, I am doing things, and I will do things. That, the, that it's ongoing. I haven't used up all my, 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 my love bank for you. There is more in store, so much more. For Mary, what, 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 ended, up, what, what ended up happening to Mary when she, she, she became redeemed, that she was exorcised from the demons? What happened to her? She became a follower of Jesus and she became a witness because of what Jesus did for her. People would have known she was demon-possessed and they would have known the pain and the affliction that she either had on herself, on others. We've seen in other parts of the Bible there was a dude called Legion and he hung out in the, um, in the tombs because he was probably so difficult to handle, not difficult but dangerous. And so for Mary to come back from that and to be walking through the town now fully restored and meek and mild and, and, and caring and loving and, and, and supporting a, a prophet's ministry, to be around a prophet, from a demon-possessed woman to be around a prophet, extreme restoration, her life became a witness for the power of God. For us, it's hard to believe in the circumstance that you might find yourself in now or you have found yourself in the past, that God actually wants to employ you as a witness to Him. Not in the things that you do, not in the, in the ministries that you're a part of or all the great things or the, the awesome person that can preach for 30 minutes or whatnot, the awesome worship leader. It's not about the stuff. God wants to employ you as a witness because He has the power to change your circumstances and He has the power to take you out of extreme grief and trauma and pain in your life. Other people, when you come out of that and you're carrying yourself in such a way that sees that, that you are restored, it causes them to think. It causes them to, to question. It causes them to wonder. And in those moments, they will ask, what has happened to you, mate? I knew you from five years ago. I knew when, when, when you went through a death in the family and, and you were unconsolable and here you are now. What happened? And in those moments, we can say it, it was Jesus. I don't know how to explain it to you. Um, I can't give you the three-point presentation but it was Jesus, and if you want to find out about Jesus, just come walk with me. God wants to use the things that have happened in your life, whether self-inflicted or as a result of severe trauma or circumstance out of your control. He wants to go, you're not done, you're not finished, that I have a plan for you, I love you, and I don't want you to stay in this state. And I want to use you as a witness for my power and might so that you can continue my, you can continue my work. That's really hard to, to, to listen to sometimes when, when you're stuck in the thick of it. But it is so true. And we have, have people in our community, people you're sitting next to that have gone through 
severe trauma and circumstance and death in the family and, and all these terrible things that we would wish would never happen. And we're standing here today going, Jesus is still Lord and he's my saviour and I still want to live for him. It's amazing what Jesus can do with pain. And so with our last couple of verses, Isaiah 43, 18 to 21, it says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honour me and the jackals and the owls because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that, I, that they may proclaim my praise. When I first read, forget the former things and do not dwell in the past, and the way that I framed the message, you could, you could definitely pick up on a vibe that perhaps he's talking about, forget about your sin and look forward to the future, and that would be actually doing a disservice to the context. My commentary actually tells me that forgetting the former things and not dwelling on the past is actually talking about the previous ways that God had restored them, that he was reminding Israel that you can't put me in a box, you can't uh, expect me to, to do what I did in Exodus, you can't, I'm not going to employ the plagues again, I'm not going to do that to, to, to Babylon, like, I'm, I'm not going to part the Red Sea, we're not even near the Red Sea anymore, so I'm not going to do that, um, but I'm doing a new thing, And it's in these moments, especially in Isaiah, where you, you pick up on some, some imagery and some, some things that are, that are talking about a much greater thing. It's a double meaning. That yes, God is going to do something different for Israel or he's going to restore them in a different way through this Persian king, but, but you're definitely picking up on some Jesus vibes here. That I am going to do a new thing, that the, the way that I redeem and restore the, 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 the people of Israel, it's going to be a completely different thing. It's not just going to be restoring things practically, but it's going to be restoring your soul. It's going to be restoring your heart. And we're testaments to that, that our lineage is, is, is rooted in, in the Israelite nation because we are here restored by the blood of Jesus in a completely new way. But as you go into verse 24, you pick up on the, 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 the thing that I initially, the way that I initially interpreted it. It says, you have not brought any fragrant calamus for me and lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins and wearied with your offences. Even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I remember your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for innocence. I love the cheekiness of God. <laughs> He's like, if you think you can... Uh, state your case for innocence, go for it. And then I will state my case for guilt and you will realise that, that there is no way you can measure up. And isn't that the point? Isn't that the reason why Jesus had to come? Because we can't measure up. And so God is saying, forget your sins because they've already been forgiven. I blot them out. There is no way that you can live this life according to your own works 
and be good enough. Doesn't that take the pressure off? Uh, I know a lot of people get offended by that and saying, what, you think I'm a bad person? Hey, we're all bad people. It takes the pressure off that we have a saviour in Jesus that blots out the transgressions. But this past life or these things that have happened to us, they have the potential to rear their head again. Just because you've been redeemed by Jesus once doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle again. It's like PTSD that it rears its head in, in this moment of weakness and you're left thinking, I, I've lost my redemption, that I'm going to have to be re-redeemed. But it's not true. And I want to just play uh, uh, the second clip and this is from season two in... Uh, in in chosen, and it shows a moment where Mary has has fallen away. And so, I just want to finish with this, and in, in the context of that ver- of that that clip, something happened in the camp, and a, a demon possessed person came into the camp, and it triggered Mary, and it rocked her, and and she couldn't do it anymore, so she left, and she she entered back into her life of of, of drinking and gambling. And it's not in the Bible, but it's a very biblical theme that the the reality is just because you've been redeemed once doesn't mean you're never going to struggle again. That things have the potential to rear their heads and rock you again and again and again. And I just love, and this, this is the Jesus that we follow. This is the Jesus. That is the type of Jesus. I don't know what sort of view you might have of Jesus, but that is the true Jesus. The person that says to all of his people, look up, I forgive you. Like think about the things that he said. It's not you. You leaving me momentarily, that's not you. It's just something that you've done, but that's not you. That's not who I call you to be. That is not your identity. You are Mary. And Jesus is saying that to you today. However you're feeling right now, however far away from God you feel right now, however crap you feel about yourself, that is not you. You are a child of God. You are redeemed. You are mine. He says it's not much of a redemption if it can be thrown away in a day. It's not, it's not a cheap thing. That Jesus is dying on the cross is once for all and when we come to him in, in humility and sorrow and repentance, he's there with open arms saying, I forgive you. And he says, I just want your heart. And you know what, Mary, I've already given you, you've already given me that. He's saying that to you guys today. He's saying that to all of us. It's not about what you do, good or bad. I just want your heart. I can see your heart. Even when you can't see your heart, I can see your heart and I know you're, you're pure and you're there for, you're, you're, you've got a heart for me. I don't care if you stuff up as so long as you come back to me and, and come in humility. Forgiveness is always there. I love that last bit. Look up at me. I forgive you. It's over. It's that restoration. Let that verse that we read at the beginning be an anchor in times of, of, of fear and pain that fear not, I have redeemed you and you 
uh, mind that you have an identity in the living God. And not only do you have an identity in the living God, but he actually has a plan for you and he actually has a job for you to do. That, that, that Christianity, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you can come to service on a Sunday. He came so that you can help him in his mission. That we are the image bearers of the living God. And he will even use our pain, sin and suffering and call us into redemption over and over and again as long as we come to humility. We must hold firm in his identity that that he's given us, his identity that we are redeemed. And when we catch that, and and, and it's a process. As I said, it's not a three-step program. It's going to allow us to go out into those worlds knowing that we are broken reeds but redeemed in him and then we will find our broken reeds and share that love and compassion that we have been, that we have received through Jesus on the cross. And that ends our, our series on Israel, uh, on, on, on Isaiah. And so I just want to pray for us and then um, continue to, to discuss organically um, perhaps the things that God has redeemed you of. Or maybe the things that you're struggling with now that you really need prayer for and you really need your friends and your brothers and sisters around you. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your son. And as we're approaching Easter and we're we're here on Palm Sunday where you were declared Hosanna in the highest, the king We acknowledge, Lord, that we are nothing, that we fail, that we stuff up, that we struggle. And, Lord, we just need your love to wash over us and we need that assurance that you have always got our back, that you're, you're always there for us and you're always ready to welcome us home no matter how far we stray. I just pray, Lord, over this community and over Divergent Church and I just pray over people in our lives that are going through stuff, that feel unredeemed and that feel just unworthy. I pray, Lord, that you you intersect their life. You speak truth into their world and say it's not true, that you are mine and I've redeemed you and you do not have to fear anymore. Jesus name amen